Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Fizzle Show. This is our podcast about uh, building sustainable, meaningful small businesses and earning a living doing something that you really care about. I'm your host, Corbett Barr, and today is a special Fizzle Friday member-focused episode where we have members attending in the audience. And today, we're also joined by a very special guest. We have Seth Williams from retipster.com. Seth has been a Fizzle member. He's grown a successful business in the real estate industry. And to start off with today, we're going to talk with Seth about what he's been up to so we can learn how he grew his business. We're also joined today by Jen Rayow from the Fizzle team. Hey, Jen. Hello, everyone. Welcome. And uh, <laughs> Seth, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I can't believe I'm actually talking to you guys. I've been listening to you for so long. It's weird to be on this podcast with you. So very cool. <laughs> Well, you're no stranger to podcast yourself. Uh, and uh, to begin with, why don't we just hear about what your business is today? Tell us about RE Tipster. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, RE Tipster was, uh, is a blog that I started back in 2012. It was around the time when I discovered, you know, names like Pat Flynn. I actually discovered Think Traffic, Corbett, when you were interviewed by Pat Flynn on his channel. And I was, I was just kind of impressed with, you know, the value and just the information you guys brought to the table. And I had been working on my own as a real estate investor for a few years. And there were a lot of things that I had learned in my, you know, my travels, so to speak, just figuring out what does and doesn't work in that industry. And it was the kind of stuff that a lot of people weren't talking about and stuff that I wasn't hearing about in the courses that I would buy. And I was really inspired by this whole concept of like, let's just give away really good information, stuff that people would pay for, but just give it away for free. Just, I don't know. I just, I saw a lot of power behind that, especially when I saw that people were actually able to make money doing that kind of thing. And so that's what I did. I, I kind of discovered that I had a knack for putting together uh, information and explanations about things that were fairly complicated, but my brain is very slow to learn things. And in order for me to understand things, I have to be able to dumb it down and explain it very, very simply to people. And I was able to do that for uh, a number of different topics. And uh, it has just sort of grown over the years. And um, over time, I've been able to kind of devote a lot more of my time to it. And it's a self-sustaining business. And it's awesome. And it's, it's I have you guys to thank for a lot of that. I, I remember. There were countless hours driving to and from my job, listening to the Fizzle Show, just learning endless insights and things that was like, yes, like I can do that. I understand uh, everything from finding my voice to building an email list. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. It's been extremely helpful. So thank you very much. But that's well, thank, thank you. Hey, man. Uh, what was your day job? I'm just curious if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, my day job, uh, I was working in the commercial banking industry. I was basically mm -hmm. a, a glorified credit analyst. Um, as far as jobs go, it was, was not a bad job. You know, it's not like I despised my life or anything like that, but it definitely wasn't my calling. It wasn't what I loved spending my time doing. Um, so eventually it kind of became the bottleneck in the businesses I was running and it was, you know, just time to, to leave. And what was the thing that led you to exploring entrepreneurship? Was there, was there a book that you read or was this something you had always wanted to do? Yeah. Did you stumble upon a podcast or a radio show or something? Yeah, well, I mean, just entrepreneurship in general, 
the idea kind of came to mind when I was just finishing up college. The year was about 2005-ish, and uh, I read a book that a lot of people have read called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You guys ever read that book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Robert so, Kiyosaki. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I don't know if that's if this is true of every industry or just the real estate industry, but like everybody in real estate lists that as like their number one most influential book. So anyway, that was kind of the thing that made me realize, okay, like there's more to what I'm seeing here. There's more to just working a day job until I'm, you know, 16 and retiring. Like there's a way to get there faster and there's a way to make more money. And it's it's not just about getting rich for rich sake it's about you know earning freedom and basically being able to give your family and the people you love the kind of life that you want them to have so just kind of that whole he's very formulaic in how he lays it out and it's it's really hard to argue with a lot of the uh, points that he makes in that book and that was kind of the the starting point for me just in terms of like i didn't really know what's that and and the crux of it is is basically um not simply trading time for money your whole life. Yeah, essentially, I mean, there's a, a few different sound bites that I think you can take away from that book, but one of them that I was stuck with me is that, you know, basically assets are things that put money in your pocket and liabilities are things that take money out of your pocket. So figure out what in your money, what in your life is actually an asset and a liability, and then spend your life buying assets or creating assets with the time that you have. Um, so yeah, Seth. What was the? And, go ahead, Jen. What was the freedom you were after uh, when you were just, you know, learning about entrepreneurship and and you mentioned freedom? What is it? What did it mean to you? And what does it mean to you now? Yeah, for me, it was, man. I think it it was sort of this idea of being able to call the shots in my life and wake up when I wanted to and do what I wanted mm-hmm. to do that day, and. Something that I think I had a misconception about in much of my young adulthood was that work is bad. Like it's just miserable. It's a bad thing. But actually, work is amazing. You just have to find the right work. And for me, that was a big discovery point is realizing like how how important it is to find work that you love. The kind of work where like on Sunday night, you are in bed with a smile on your face because you cannot wait to get started the next day. And that's something that uh, it's very elusive for a lot of people. And it was elusive for me for the longest time. Um, So, you know, just always having that on my radar and trying to find that thing. And when it finally showed up on on the scene, it was like, yes, that is what I'm going to go after. Nothing's going to get in my way. Um, So it was really just, I mean, not not only freedom from like the boss and the nine to five and all that, but really the work that I did spend my time on, I wanted it to be stuff that I loved doing. And Seth, uh, when, how, how long did it take from your first entrepreneurial action to when you left your day job? Do you know approximately when those dates were for you? Yeah, let's see here. I think it was about, I think it was about eight years, about eight solid years. So it was, yeah. it was not a, a quick journey for me. It took a long time. And a lot of that time was spent kind of like bumping into walls and figuring out, okay, that didn't work. That was a waste of time. But <laughs> I, I could only know that by actually trying it and doing it. Um, so yeah, it was oh, uh, it was a, a long journey. And I think I probably could have left sooner than that. But um, I don't know if you're familiar, are you at all familiar with the Enneagram test? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm a I don't know what type you guys are, but I'm a type six. 
So I <laughs> spend my life just worrying about everything possible. <laughs> and, uh, and that was no exception with my job situation. I just, I wanted to know beyond the shadow of a doubt, like this is going to work. And I thought through every possible worst case scenario. So, you know, by the time I finally quit, I was like more than ready financially. When, during those eight years, um, did you, did you run into any moments where you were just in like a deep despair and, and thought, who am I yeah. to think I can do this? And, and why have I been wasting my time on this business stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Both in my real estate business and with the blog I was trying to build. Yeah. I mean, I remember with, uh, you know, the, the thing that I do the most of in real estate is I buy and sell vacant land, which is a very niche kind of weird thing that not a lot of people do or talk about. And um, yeah, there was definitely a point in that process when I felt like I was just kind of spinning my wheels. Like I was making money, but it was just kind of like, man, like, is this it? Like, do I just keep doing deals over and in it? I don't know. It was, it was work that like, I definitely enjoyed it, but I, I sort of, I wondered like, am I ever going to get there where I can not only make enough, not just like a, as a one-time transaction, but like recurring income that's always going to be there. Um, and then on the blogging front, I'm, I'm sure you guys are probably familiar with this. Like there was a point in time, probably like 12 to 18 months into it where I had just spent countless hours trying to put stuff together and it didn't feel like anybody cared or anybody was listening or watching or reading. And yeah, it was I remember getting being pretty close to to you know throwing in the towel a few times. So yeah, I was love there something this. in particular that that got you through that. <laughs> something that you came back to. Were you the kind of person who led on inspiration? Was there like some some like Gary V video that you refer back to, or some book that you read, or what what did you do mm -hmm. like to to reinvigorate yourself during those times? Yeah, well, I know with the land business, part of what helped me keep going with that was discovering this concept of a blog that like I can actually help other people. And there, there's more to this than just me sort of lining my pockets here and there with cash from deals I'm doing. Like I can actually help other people see what's here too. And then on the blogging front, um, I remember there was a lot of, uh, a lot of encouragement I got in, I think it was the early, earlier episodes of the fizzle show when um, I think it was you, Corbett, at one point you talked about this idea of um, people in your life will look at this business you're running and kind of say something to you like, oh, that's that's cute that you think you can do that. You know, like, like just almost kind of demeaning. They don't like say it to your face, but they just kind of have this attitude of like, whatever, man, like you're never going to make it. But if that makes you happy, go ahead. And I just remember hearing that and thinking like, thank goodness, like I'm not the only person that feels this way. Like this is a normal thing. And uh, it just kind of gave me the encouragement to keep going. But also it was about, uh, I think it was about 18 or so months into my blogging journey where I had spent a lot of time uh, trying to add value to the biggest real estate uh, investing website of its kind that, that I know of called Bigger Pockets. Mm -hmm. um, spent a lot of time on their forum. I had became a, a guest contributor for them, writing articles, uh, and really just trying to be helpful um, in any way I could. And that's the kind of website where they're they're very big on like you give away free stuff, you add lots of value. Like they're very much anti self promotion. Like if you put a link to anything of yours in their forum, it's gone like that. Uh, which 
it's kind of cold, but I kind of respect it too. But I had spent a lot of time trying to just be helpful there. And uh, it was around, I think like the 14 to 18 month uh, mark where they invited me to come on their podcast, which was, I think it was episode 39. And uh, even way back then, their podcast was you know, pretty small, but getting like, I think they said they were getting like 50,000 downloads an episode or something like that. So it's a pretty big deal. And I think today they're getting like hundreds of thousands. So just getting on that podcast at all was a really big deal and kind of a turning point just in terms of a lot of people could finally hear my message and hear what I was up to and, um, you know, started to get traction around that point. So, uh, it's one of those things where if you spend enough time really trying to contribute value to somebody else who you believe in, who's doing a good thing, um, I mean, there's no guarantee that they're going to, you know, toss you a line, but they might. And that's kind of what happened with me. And that, that podcast is called just the Bigger Pod, Bigger Pockets podcast, or is yeah. there a different name for it? That's, yeah. At least that's what it was when I was on. I think that's still the main thing. I think they have a few different podcasts going on now, but... Did you try to start businesses on anything aside from real estate or was this always your topic? No. Well, I mean, in my life as a whole, like when I was in college, I tried to run a vending machine business, which didn't really go anywhere. It was not really what I was cut out for, but it was just my first ever shot at trying to make money on something. Um, I think that was the only other like notable thing real estate had always sort of been on my radar because in that rich dad poor dad book he talks a lot about real estate he just doesn't give give much specifics of how to do it but um i just i had believed in the real estate concept a lot and i had spent some time trying to flip houses and buy rental properties and uh, i had a lot of difficulty with that it was very hard for me to find good deals that would actually make financial sense and make money um, and it wasn't until I discovered the land investing niche uh, that it, things really started to work. And that's also part of, I think, I think part of why I was able to uh, find some success with my blog is because not a lot of people talk about land investing. It's a, it's just, it's sort of a, especially when I started talking about it, it was a very new concept. That a lot of people did not understand, um, but I was able to lay it out in a very logical way that made a lot of sense and resonated with lots of people. I, I think if yeah, if you can, if you do have a new concept or a new idea that not a lot of other people are talking about, that can sort of give you a big leg up in a lot of ways. Um, Seth, we have a lot of fizzlers that are struggling to find their niche or they're new and they know that they want a niche down, but um, they're scared to. But can you describe the difference between blogging generally about real estate versus you said, you know, you started to see a change when you got more specific in what you were offering, like what was the response from your audience or how did it change? Yeah, good question. Well, it was kind of a blessing and a curse. The fact that land was not something many people talked about because on, on one hand, the concepts I would talk about would be very new to most people and a kind of a fresh take on something they'd never thought about before. On the other hand, though, it's not something that many people were actively searching for. So mm -hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of organic traffic if I specifically stuck to only that niche and nothing else. So what I was able to do was, uh, even though land investing is its own separate niche, so to speak, there's a lot of parallels with that and just general real estate as a whole. Like, how do you find good real estate deals? 
you know, just how do you do that? That's a huge, huge problem. That's kind of how you make money in real estate is just understanding where and how to find deals that are off market that nobody else knows about, where you can offer 10% of market value and get those deals accepted. And if you can nail that, your life is going to be a lot easier. So I spent my time making videos and blog posts about topics like that, that totally applied to land, but it also applied to real estate investors as a whole. And that was a one thing that started to pick up steam was, I think one of the first uh, blog posts I wrote was a, about how I find motivated sellers. And it was like a three-part blog post um, or three blog posts, like side by side by side. And each one had its own video that explained exactly the process I went through, how I pulled a list of people, how to filter that list, how to send that mail out. Because we direct mail is a thing that I use a lot to find people. And uh, I found that a lot of people were searching for how to find motivated sellers. And my thing came up in Google. So that started sending some traffic to my website. And back then, I, I didn't really know anything about like keyword research and how to find things that people are looking for. And like, I just, it was kind of just dumb luck, you know? And I think if you do it long enough and if you're smart about it, that can work. Um, it might not be the fastest way to get there, but it's one way to do it. And that was how I did it for a long time. And for the business at, retipster.com, uh, do you sell any products or do you rely on affiliate income or, or what does your revenue model look like? Yeah, um, it's kind of all the above. Um, so yeah, I've got affiliate relationships with probably like 30 or 40 different companies and probably only five or six of those make any notable income. A lot of them are like a hundred bucks a month or something like that. Um, and a few of them make, make you know, a thousand or two or 3000 a month. Um, and I've sort of found that with the, on the affiliate front, there's really three things I try to look for. Uh, first of all, it's got to be the right product or service, like something that my people really need. Like that box has to be checked. And then also the commission that gets paid out needs to be pretty good. Like not like a penny for a sign up, but like, you know, a hundred bucks or a lot really, or some kind of recurring model. And then also the action required to actually trigger that commission needs to be something that's fairly easy, like just signing up. Um, so I try to find those th three things, but it's kind of hard to find all of them in one spot. So I usually start with the product that makes the most sense. And then hopefully the other things will fall into place too. But um, so anyway, we do affiliate income. We also uh, have a handful of digital products that we sell, which is basically like the postcard templates that I have used for years in my direct mail campaigns. I've got a big blog post basically telling people exactly how they can come up with their own template, like what to say. I mean, I basically give it to them, except for I don't give them literally the exact words that I use. I just say, say something like this in your postcard. So anyway, so I go through all that. And at the very bottom, I say, I know it's a lot of work, to get your own copy. So if you wanna get my exact templates, you can do it right here. Um, and a lot of people buy it. And the funny thing about that is, when I first started selling those templates, I was charging $7 a piece. And you know, I was kinda of, kind of just scared to raise the price. I didn't know what people would pay for it, but I've raised it several times. They're now $147 for the exact same templates that have done nothing to change and they sell just as well. Um, and I, I think what it comes down to is, First of all, it is kind of hard to quantify the value of um, sales copy that really works. But honestly, like it's worth a lot. Like if you know you have something that has proven results, um, 
don't know. There's a, there's, I think there's a lot you can ask for that and it's legitimately worth it. So that's one example, but also different like checklists and PDFs and Excel spreadsheets with calculators and things like that. I'll basically just spend a blog post and probably a video talking about what it is, why it's important. I'll walk them through how I use it and um, just make it available. And yeah, I, I, I think part of why this blogging business has worked for me is because I'm a very, very bad salesperson. I'm not good at convincing people to buy stuff from me or why they need it. But what I can do is just say what a thing is and explain how it works. And people can make up their own decision. And I'm sure it's hurt me, but I don't know. It's been pretty nice too that I don't have to, you know, feel phony or something like that when I'm trying to, you know, convince a person to buy something from me. I just say what it is and the sales kind of happen organically. Looking back over, it, it, it sounds like you've relied primarily on content marketing, right? To find your customers for the, yeah. the online business. Yep, totally. Yeah. And looking back over the the years, when did you start RE Tipster? Uh, it was November of 2012. Okay. So looking back since November of 2012, what are the top two activities that you've spent a significant amount of time on in terms of payoff to you, in terms of the things that have led to the opportunities, the customers, all that? Yeah, I would say writing blog posts and making videos for YouTube. Um, I think as the business has grown, you know, it's definitely yanked me in different directions. So it's very hard to spend as much time on that stuff as I used to, but, um, yeah, I just, I sort of knew seeing other bloggers that I was following, following out there, you know, they would put together a epic blog post that would just like change your life. And it changed the lives of thousands of people that found it. And I just knew that it, it was worth my time and trouble, even if it took 20 hours or more to do it, to make something amazing, that's really going to change somebody's life. And I have spent you know, probably upwards of 60 hours before on a single blog post. And um, it's totally worth it. And even if there's a chance that that time is not going to pay off, like just this idea of, I'm going to put a lot of work into this one thing, and it's going to live out there for years to come and change lives while I'm sleeping, you know, it's going to continue to do its work. Um, so yeah, I'd say without a doubt, writing and then uh, the YouTube videos have been the two biggest things in terms of payoff. Transitioning from writing blog posts to creating YouTube videos isn't easy for some people. Yeah. Uh, writing and, and filming videos mm -hmm. is, is quite a different thing. Um, was that a difficult transition for you? And are there some things that you learned that you could pass along to people that are looking to make that transition or to add video to their repertoire? Yeah, absolutely. So videos have always been very hard for me, even today. I struggle with them a lot. Uh, for me to make a, you know, 15 minute video, I could easily spend an hour recording that. And I edit out a ton of stuff. I mean, if you were to just hear the raw version of my video, it would be a complete mess, not fun to listen to for you or me. <laughs> um, however, uh, it's one of those things, again, like, I know I can somehow get the information out. I can, and I'll also mention, um, when I was first starting doing videos, I was very uncomfortable showing my face on the screen. So I created Camtasia videos or something like ScreenFlow, for example, basically just explaining to people how to use different websites, how to use different software, things like that. 
Um, and the nice thing about those kinds of videos is that, uh, say if I messed up something I was saying, or there was a long 20 second silence, it's very easy to cut that out. And the end user will never know it because I mean, if I was filming my face, I mean, any micro movement you're going to see if you cut it out. But if it's a screenshot video, it's super easy to just edit it to oblivion. And usually it's pretty, comes out pretty smooth in the end. So that was a huge stepping stone for me just in terms of getting me comfortable and really mm -hmm. just getting used to hearing my own voice. I know a lot of people can't stand the sound of their voice and I'm, I'm one of those people too. Uh, but, you know, just in terms of sort of taking baby steps that helped me get, get further along. And then um, I, I'm always somebody who's been impressed with people who have good video quality and good lighting and that kind of thing. And so I just, I paid a lot of attention to other YouTubers who were, had videos that just looked awesome, like super pro level quality. And I took a lot of notes and, and figured out a good camera setup and good lights to get. And I, I think the misconception some people have is that the videos like need to look like that on day one and it's not going to happen, you know, unless, <laughs> unless you're just like somehow lucky or blessed or something, just don't plan on that. Um, and you know, you look at any big YouTuber and they most likely did not start in that place. So really just getting started with something and figuring out what works and the only way to figure out what works is to just put stuff out there and see what happens. And uh, running two businesses at once is, something yeah. that it sounds like you've done since the beginning. Mm -hmm. It can be quite a challenge for people. Totally. Um, what, what have you learned about doing that? And uh, are there benefits to doing that? Are there downsides to doing that? How do you look at running two businesses? Yeah, you know, I've always been super jealous of people who blog about blogging because like they can kind of kill two birds with one stone, like they're talking about the thing they're doing. <laughs> but with somebody like me, where I blog about a completely different business and a whole different area of expertise, it's hard. It's super time consuming. I mean, both businesses take tons of time to, to execute. Um, so the way that I was able to do that, and I can't say I do it like that well, but um, I was able to figure out a lot of ways to automate and cut down on a lot of time-wasting activities in my land business. Um, so for example, instead of doing like 30 deals a year, I might do like half a dozen deals a year and focus on the ones that make more money. And also in that process, that's part of what I'm able to talk about and the content I'm able to create is how to waste less time in your land business because that's what I'm, I have to do in order to make it work. Um, I probably spend like a maximum of five hours a week doing my real estate stuff and then 35 hours a week-ish, depending on the week, on doing the content creation. Um, cause for me, the content creation, I've not been able to find a way to really, um, produce really high quality stuff without just doing it myself or very carefully involving other people with the process. Um, if you know of a way to do that, Corbett, let me know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I it's kind of hard to get away from the time consuming aspect of that. At the same time though, I can't just like stop doing the land business or the other real estate stuff I'm involved with because. That's what I write about. And I have to know what's going on in the world today and what does and doesn't work. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's a challenge, but I am able to keep, uh, keep the plates spinning. And it also helps too that I'm able to have lots of conversations with other real estate investors about what's working with them and sort of dissecting deals that they're doing too. So 
it's not like I have to be the one doing it all, but I think you do have to be doing something firsthand. Seth Williams, thank you so much for being our guest today. People can find you over at retipster.com. We appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was great. Great talking to you. And uh, Jen Rao, as always, thanks for helping co-host today. Yes, thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. And thanks all of you for being here, either live or for listening at home. We appreciate you. This has been The Fizzle Show. And until next week, we'll talk to you soon.